I am Sarah Vine, and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour from Mail Plus. I am joined this week, as every week, by my friend and co-host, Imogen Edwards-Jones. Imogen, my darling, how are you? Well, a hell of a lot better than you, my love. That's all I can <laughs> <Yes>. say. <laughs> I should explain to the dear listeners that Imogen is in the studio, and I am at home because I've got the COVID. Do you have a temperature? I do have a temperature. I spent most of Monday unconscious, mm-hmm. I think. Oh, and then I thought, oh, I, I came down with something on Sunday night, mm. and I did a test on Monday morning, mm. and I was extremely positive. So then I went back to bed, and then I then I sort of awoke about well, it's a Tuesday afternoon, around the time that Rishi Sunak resigned. I thought, honestly, I go to sleep for ten <laughs> minutes, and look what happens. The country implodes. Uh, it's because you weren't awake. Not, you, like, you're like the head meerkat on duty. That's the problem. If you're the head meerkat on duty and you've just gone to little snooze, suddenly all chaos breaks loose. You must have been called up by the world and his wife this week. I know. And so, so but it's a terrible banging headache, a temperature and a sort of cough and aches and the usual thing. It's not as bad as swine flu. I did have that a few years ago. Oh, you did have swine flu. Yeah. yeah. You're like the canary in the coal mine. We should take you wherever we go. <laughs> and you can collect all the diseases as we go through. Get all Sarah's yes, there. There'll be something done that. there. Yes. <laughs> the side problem is, is, that, is that now that I live on my own with two teenagers, if I am ill, the entire oh, house yes. basically it, it, honestly, it takes about 20 minutes for it to completely disintegrate. Yes. We seem to have lost all our forks in the time that I was asleep. I don't know where they've gone. I woke up on, on, on just Tuesday evening and for some reason we only had two forks left. I've no idea That's where they've good. gone. I'd check your daughter's bedroom, actually, for forks, yeah. if I were you, and exactly. and your son's, because That's... they do tend to uh, to snack in their well, rooms, I mean, my son actually can't <laughs> use cutlery because he's such a savage. No, so that is stuff. true, yes. I, I presume your kitchen sink is now full of bowls of soggy cornflakes. Yeah, absolutely. Good, great. So when, that'll be the first uh, thing you do when you've resurrected like Lazarus. You'll be down there doing, with the marigolds on, doing the washing up. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but yes, anyway, it's been an eventful week. It's um, lots of news. Lots of the news, and mm. um, and and Doris Bonson finally. I mean, I think he went a bit tonto towards the end. There. Do you think? There was a very bizarre thing where me and the children were sitting there last night watching Love Island because that's mm. what has to happen. And, and then William was sitting there, and he suddenly got a text from mate going, "Oi, apparently Boris has fired your dad." Yes, yes, he <laughs> has. Point, yes. At which point, the children actually dragged themselves away from Love Island and took a vague interest. And so that was quite exciting. Mm. And it seems very odd. I don't quite know why that happened. I suppose... Yes, yes. yes. Apparently he was given an ultimatum, resign or by nine o'clock last night. And at one minute to nine, your lovely ex-husband got a phone call. That's what I heard. (laughs) But I mean, you know, you're probably much more up on the gossip than I am. (laughs) I I'm think sure you that, are. Uh, I'm not quite sure that was how it went down, as the young people say. Oh. But, uh, you know, the outcome was the same, so it doesn't really matter, does Yes. It? I mean, he couldn't carry on. He'd lost 50 ministers, I think, by this morning. Uh, well, oh, okay, and the rest. God. I mean, they're still resigning now, I should imagine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I mean, I, I was actually talking to someone who was rushing into work to resign and was really quite put out that the Prime Minister resigned <laughs> before they did. <laughs> 
Boo. I'm That's resigning. Funny. No, you have to wait for me to resign. No, I'm resigning. No, you're resigning. I'm resigning. Oh, but I, my favorite, my favorite one was five of them on one piece of paper. They were saving on stationery, apparently, which made me laugh a lot. Eco-friendly, just using one piece I, of paper. Yeah, I thought only one person could be bothered. could type it. Just, it couldn't be bothered anyway, to do with the typing. Funny. I'll it's just sign funny. that and one. Who cares? <laughs> it's not funny. And the country is now rudderless. No, it's I not think, funny. Oh. No. No. No, it's no. not funny. <sighs> right, let's get back to business. Yes, exactly. Let's get back to important things, such yes. as Santa's new novel. Santa's new novel, which will be amazing. Yes, because we've been doing a summer special of books, obviously. Yep. And so... We continue our celebration of summaries with a visit to the studio from best-selling author Santa Montefiore, who will be telling us all about the allure of Argentina and her new book, An Italian Girl in Brooklyn. Do you like my accent there? No, it's brilliant. Well done. <laughs> Very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> and we will also be joined by Teresa Chang to talk about the resignations. But first, before all of that, we're going to talk to someone about money, because Marie Helvin, former model, we were talking about the fact that she'd completely run out of money. And for some reason, that resonated with you and I. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully there's somebody grown up and important that can help us with our impecunious ways. <laughs> exactly. So to discuss this, Annabelle Williams, who is a personal finance specialist at Nutmeg. Women have somehow got the reputation that we're not very good with money. To discuss this, who better than Annabelle Williams, who is the personal finance specialist at Nutmeg, who also happens to be the author of the book, Why Women Are Poorer Than Men and What We Can Do About It. Annabelle is joining us now. Hello, Annabelle. Hello. Sarah and I have a real problem with money, particularly of the book. No, none. We were thinking about this, obviously, because of uh, Mary Helvin this week, suddenly waking up and realising that she uh, wasn't as rich as she thought she was. Why are we so rubbish? Well, I'm here to tell you that actually it's just a really deeply entrenched myth that women are no good with money. We do have less of it. That's not just the pay gap, which still exists, but we have less of it when we reach retirement age. So women tend to retire with um, pensions half the size of the average man. And we live for longer too, so we have to make that money go further. But really, there's this idea in our culture that women are frivolous with money, that we go on shopping sprees. But it's just not true. So when you look at consumer spending, so overall, 80% of the decisions made by women, and that's because we're the ones who do the weekly shop and we buy things like children's clothes, buy presents at Christmas and throughout the year. So women are in the shops more. We are more likely to view shopping as a leisure activity. Single men outspend single women. And that's really interesting because if there's one social group that you would expect to be the most into shopping, it would be single people with no commitments and it would be single women. And this kind of myth that women are frivolous with money and is really reinforced by the media. So There was a piece of research by Starling Bank, which analysed 300 articles talking about money, and they found a clear difference in how the media speaks to each gender about money. So for women, the focus tends to be more on household thrift and short-term savings, and the language used portrayed women as heavy spenders prone to splurging on non-essentials, and they need help holding back. And then with men, the focus is more on building wealth, 
So this study found that 70% of articles were aimed at men were about making money, with the language being around money being something to be conquered by people yeah. who are daring or brave. The thing is, what I think happens is that women tend to spend their money on other people, their children, mm. families, their homes. That's certainly my experience, all of my friends. I mean, none of my friends are real sort of, you know, they don't wander around with Chanel handbags and stuff. But they, they're <laughs> the ones who, who will, you know, uh, stump up when it comes to the kids, you know, wanting something. Or, Pay you know, the pizza bill or whatever, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But what they're really bad at, what we're all really bad at, and I think this is particularly the case of Marie Helvin, is this sort of flat planning for wealth, sort of wealth accumulation, sort of just general long-term financial planning. So, for example, both Imogen and I, don't have pensions. I have scraps of pensions, which I've sort of started and failed to finish over the years. I wonder how much childcare comes into this, because I know that one of the reasons I didn't really pay much into a pension when I was in my sort of 30s and 40s is because I was spending all of my spare money, really, on childcare in order Mm. to be able to carry on working. And childcare is incredibly expensive. And you have to pay your childminder, and then you have to pay all of their tax and insurance out of your taxed income. And you sort of tend to think, well, you know, I, I've just got to do what I've got to do now. And I think not only do women come out of the workplace because they uh, take time off to look after their children, they then have to pay often for childcare in order to go back into the workplace. So it's like, well, how am I supposed to pay for pension? <laughs> mm. that? There's nothing left over at the end of the month for anything else, is there? That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. The Fawcett Society, the feminist group, did a piece of research a couple of years ago, and it found that the majority of women pay for childcare out of their own income, even if they Mm. are in a couple. And they cut back on pension contributions for that because it's just not a priority when you're trying to kind of stay in the workplace and have your child well looked after. And the most important thing when you've got small children and you're working age is paying for someone who you trust to look after them because they're the mm. most precious thing in your life. And actually, the problem with being a mother is that you sort of do put yourself right on the back burner. And I think a lot of women, you're very far down your own to-do list, aren't you? And you sort of push it to the back of your mind. You think, oh, you know, I can't deal with that now. I'll deal with it another day. And then, of course, you wake up and you're 65 and you don't have pension. <laughs> yeah, true. Mm, mm. I think this speaks to a couple of things. So this myth that women aren't good with money and men are, it's sexism. But I think what it results in is women generally feeling less financially confident. And you mentioned the lack of pensions. Well, actually, the pensions advice service says that the most common word women use when they call up and ask for information about pensions is sorry. So you're sorry, mm. I don't understand. Sorry, it's all so confusing. That really, for me, encapsulates kind of the burden that women are under. Mm. Yeah. What was it you said that about journalism, about male so the, journalism? Yeah, this friend of mine who was a commissioning editor used to say that if she rang up the men and asked them to write an article, they would say, how much? And then the women would say, when do you want it by? And so I wondered whether the men were better at asking for money and talking about money, whereas women always find it in an embarrassing subject that they feel that they're sort of, they feel that they should be asking such sort of difficult questions. Mm, mm. I mean, do you think there's a difference between that? I think men are much more likely to go in and ask for a pay rise or they're much more likely to say, I, I'm worth the extra money. If a man is asked to do an extra piece of work, he won't do it until he gets paid. Whereas a woman will do well, exactly. It and I mean, I just wondered whether hope. whether there was. But, it's all about the pay gap as well, isn't it? The gender pay gap. The idea that men are much braver and more aggressive asking for pay rises, whereas women are less likely to do so. 
Yeah, um, I mean, I have seen research on this that suggests that women do ask for pay rises at the same rate that men do, which is oh. less likely to be given them. And uh, I think okay. I just wanted to ask you just one final thing. So what can women who have basically not really sorted themselves out pension-wise do? Is there, I mean, if you're my age or Imogen's age, sort of in your early 50s, I mean, is it still possible to save for a decentish pension or, or should we just, you know, throw ourselves on the mercy of the nearest banker we can find? Firstly, obviously, it's always better to start saving anything, but it's really never too late. And the first thing that you would need to do is actually look up what you've got. So find the paperwork, find the things, and see if you can actually quantify what you have and if you can actually get into it. The pension providers are really good at helping people find lost pensions people haven't been reunited with. And um, yeah, they will help you do that, basically. There's a government pension tracing service. It's a website and you can log in and um, help track down the kind of pension pots from previous jobs. The Money Advice Service has loads of online resources and also Citizens Advice Bureau is really excellent for really kind of breaking down all of this stuff, which is, to be honest with you, pensions, people don't engage with them because it's so full of jargon and like mm. the language. No, it's, like, yeah. and also, it's also frightening as well, I think. It's okay, no, Imogen have got a solution. Imogen and I have got a solution that we're going to start a commune, aren't we, Imogen? Yes, we are. Yes. our ladies together and there'll be, yes. there'll be a big bath of vodka in the middle of the kitchen and that's what we'll, do. we'll just sit under a blanket and complain about people that's what we've decided applications are open yes exactly anyone else want to join us you're very welcome budge up there's room under the blanket that's all I can say <laughs> thank you very much Annabelle. thank you Annabelle thank you, thank you. That was Annabelle Williams, personal finance specialist at Nutmeg and author of Why Women Are Poorer Than Men and What We Can Do About It. Which appears to be quite a lot, actually, Sarah, suddenly. Apparently so, yes. Yes. Well, thank goodness. It's not It's well, not totally bleak out there. I do think the point about paying all your money into childcare is quite... Yes, one, no, that's I mean. true. But, you know, the idea of having anything left over at the end of the month is also something yeah. else. And all those ballet lessons, which obviously come to nothing. <laughs> what a waste of time those are. <laughs> what a waste of time and pain that was. Anyway, Honestly, hours. Never mind. Hours. Hours and hours. Hours. Pleats oh, and skirts and stuff. Uh, Never mind. Anything. So earlier this week, we spoke to Santa Montefiore, who actually came into the studio. This is before I was diagnosed with COVID. I should point yes. out. Have you given it to her? Me. Let's hope not. No, I can't give it to her. Maybe she gave it to no. me. Anyway, oh, that's true. Uh, pointless mm. conversation, this, about who gave who COVID, because everyone's mm. got it. Anyway, yes, that's she true. came into the studio to talk to us about her new book, An Italian Girl in Brooklyn. So we're joined now by the fabulous Santa Montefiore. I should confess that Imogen and I and Santa have a thing called Sofa. Yes, this is true. Yes. And what is Sofa? Sofa is when we all go around to each other's houses and complain about everybody and just gossip. And people try to join Sofa. Men sometimes no, try to join allowed. Sofa, but they're not allowed no. because Sofa, it's called Sofa because you just sit on a sofa with a glass of wine an and IV complain. Of wine, an ivy. <laughs> an ivy of wine. <laughs> and it's best if you've got a sofa each. Yes, so I, I do. Lie on well, the I sofa. take up a 
whole sofa, obviously. <laughs> but Santa, apart from being our sofa companion, mm. is also a brilliant writer and she's got a new book out. So we thought we'd get her in to talk yes, about it. Santa, welcome. Thank you for having me. This There's is no really wine. exciting. There's no wine. This is really unusual. I don't really know, <laughs> know. how to do this without wine. I barely recognise the two of you, actually. <laughs> Anyway, so the book is called An Italian Girl in Brooklyn. Tell us yep, about it. That's right. So it's based on a true story. Mm. I sat next to this delicious man at dinner about 15 years ago, Jewish, called Jonas Prince, and he told me his mother's story. She was born and brought up in Poland, and the war came. This is 1930s, mm-hmm. and in comes the war. Her and the man that she loved, both 17 years old, both Jewish, shipped off to Auschwitz and the day before liberation he is sent on a death march and she knows she'll never see him again and she ends up in a refugee camp and she meets a man there who like her has lost everyone in the world they are alone they cleave to each other emigrate to America marry and have children now the story unfolds Mm. It's extraordinary. And I said to Jonas, I have to write this. He said, well, you can one day, but you have to wait for my mother to pass away. Mm -hmm. So I sat on the story and the more I thought about it, the more I realized actually I couldn't write it as it was because I know nothing about Poland. Mm -hmm. I married a Jewish man, but I'm not Jewish myself. So I could not presume to write a first person Mm -hmm. or a a woman's account of her time in Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, I was trying to work out how I could do it because Mm -hmm. the story itself, the core of the story is is so extraordinary. But actually, it works very well being based in northern Italy. Mm. I came across an old book that I'd studied at university when I studied Italian, The Garden of the Finzi Contini by Mm. Giorgio Bassani. And that's in the 1930s. Mussolini's racial laws come in in 1938. In my case, because my female character, Evelina, is not Jewish, and the man that she loves is the son of the textile merchant, he is Jewish. Mm -hmm. So when the racial laws come in in 1938, it prohibits sexual relations and marriage between Jews and non-Jews. So her world is suddenly set into turmoil. But basing it in northern Italy solved my problem and making her Catholic, not Jewish, mm. also solved my problem. Mm. The core of the story is authentic. Then the main little bit, the nugget of gold that Jonas gave me, that is his mother's extraordinary story, mm. is as it is in the book. I was Mm. able to keep that, but then I built my own story around it. So it's set in the 30s and 40s in Italy, northern Italy, in a made-up town, Vercellino. And then it goes to Brooklyn in the 40s and 50s. And going forward, it sort of kind of goes forward and back. How difficult was it doing Brooklyn in the 40s and 50s? It's quite difficult doing something like that. Well, it is. You know, research has its challenges, Mm. but I was... Brooklyn is much easier to research, funnily enough, than Mm. Mussolini's Italy Mm. in northern Italy in the 30s. There is very little. The Finzi Contini, that book really is the only novel. Oh, you should have just gone and sat with my dad for a couple of days (laughs) and you're in. I wish I had. (laughs) You silly girl, you should have just asked me. (laughs) I did all his, or he's got a sort of, he's got a kind of entire sort of, plethora of ancient, you know, Tomes. ancient men. No, ancient oh, men in oh, their ancient, 90s who oh, remember yes. it all. Oh, yes. I, I wish I had known friends that. Ancient, and, ancient toads. Yeah, then. actually, ancient people toads. Who, who were properly yeah. there. I could have done with some ancient. Like. Yes, yeah. that would have solved my problem <laughs> yeah. because there's very little material. And I found a couple mm. of books. Yeah. Um, 
those sort of books where they've literally sold one copy yes. uh, and of people's accounts of... But that's quite fun, doing yes, finding those quite books. Fun. Yes, that's But they're very rare. And so yes. I was quite lucky that I found a couple of those. Yeah. And then The Gardens of the Fincy continue. But Brooklyn was really easy because yeah. there's so much, there's so many movies based yeah. in that yeah. time. Uh, so America in the 50s, 40s and 50s is actually very easy oh, yes. to do. Oh, yes, easy, very easy to do. And fun to do too. Yeah. And I went to Brooklyn because my husband's niece is married and lives in Brooklyn. So I went there for the first time right. and went around the Italian areas. And but you write so many books because you yes. do about two a year, don't you? Well, I do one a year, but because of COVID, I did four. I did four. I did that. a lot of typing, Santa. I did three. <laughs> I should say, no, I sort of did four. If four? you count a small. I love the I fact that most people in COVID book. just sort of lay in a darkened room yes. and moaned. Santa wrote a whole load of books. Yeah, she's very wrote, efficient. You wrote loads. You're very efficient. I mean, You're by far the most efficient yes. of us. Well, it, no, not at all. Mm. It was just, I had nothing else to do. And mm. I was sitting at home and the children were busy doing their studies. Mm. And I'm not one for twiddling my thumbs. So I had a comedy idea that I'd always wanted to write. And so I had the time to do that. Mm. And then I wrote the sequel. And I wrote an extra book which is based on a true another true story about mm. reincarnation that's quite extraordinary called Wait For Me and that comes out in January mm. so this year actually coming I've got four titles coming out but that said I think I'm going to take a nice deep breath and a rest now so <laughs> Good I, idea. I, yes I think I'm a little bit um, but you, were, you started out. writing about Argentina which is where which has a sort of special place in your heart doesn't it yeah I lived there when I was 19 having left school I did my gap year there, lived with this extraordinary family on the Pampa, where each member of the family had a house and they shared the tennis court and the polo field and the swimming pool. And it was extremely glamorous. Mm. And I adored that. And that year, the book really is an allegory of my love, love affair with the country, not with any particular man. The first Although, book. Which the is first called... book, Meet Me Under the Ombu yeah. Tree, which I did actually have, I had a romance with an Argentine polo player who treated mm. me so badly and had a different woman in every part of they Buenos Aires. They do Argentine <laughs> polo players. I think it's, I yes. think it's a thing. Yeah. It's the thing, you can't be a polo player unless you have a woman well, no, in every it's corner. It's a passage, isn't it? It is, yes. Sandy, how many books have you written? 30 titles now. 30? You count my children's series, The Royal Rabbits of yeah. London. Which, which you wrote with four, your husband. Yes. Which I wrote with who my is husband. Who is it? Right, history books. Simon Seabag Montefiore. Yes. yes. And that's been made into a film, isn't it? That, with Disney Fox at the moment, it was Fox optioned it and then Disney took Fox over. Right. And it's still with them and it's still in development and... You know, we're hoping, but COVID's delayed it and the takeover of Disney has delayed Mm. it too. Mm. But are all your stories, there's an inciting incident, some sort of spark, some sort of, you hear a story or like the Devils, for example, is that entirely from your imagination? Yeah, Devils was just centred around a castle. Yeah. I just love ruined castles. Mm. So I'll see a ruined castle and imagine what it must have looked like when it was a beautiful castle. And of course, during the War of Independence, the Civil War, these beautiful English houses were burnt down. Mm. So that gave me a wonderful idea. It actually was inspired by my publisher asking me to do three books. And I thought, oh my God, three different stories. Yikes, how do I do that? Mm. And then Seabang, my husband said, "Uh, why not write a trilogy? And then I thought, well, where can I base a trilogy where I have so much fodder to last over three books, so much history that I can really get my teeth into? And then I thought of Ireland Mm. um, and starts in 1910. And of course, you've got the Civil War, you've got the First World War, you've got the War of Independence, the Civil War, you've got the Depression. I mean, it, you know, it goes on. So it's it goes right up until the 80s. I've actually just finished book six of the trilogy. Do you put much of yourself in your books? Oh, yes. Is your yes. family in the books? Are your children, your husband, your... Unconsciously, without doubt, because yeah. we're all some of our experience. Mm. So you and Imogen are probably in my books oh, too, oh, in some worrying. shape it's or form. It's a terrible drunk. <laughs> yeah, the two old hags lying on yeah. the sofa yeah, with us. an empty bottle of wine. Yeah. That's you. Are you doing another one? 
Another book. Yeah. Um, I've just finished Eliza of the Lake, it's called for the moment. They'll probably change that. My editor changes my titles most of the time, but I have a working title, Eliza of the Lake. And that's quite sick. Well, I think Time Tomatoes and Love was what I was going to call an Italian girl in Brooklyn mm. because it's very nostalgic about this time in Italy in this dilapidated old villa where it's sort of time forgot. And there are sort of vines of tomatoes and time is in T I M E because it's kind of forgotten in time and love, obviously. And I rather liked that title. Because I wanted something like fried green tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe. Mm. I wanted something a little bit quirky, not, you know, the girl on the chair. I, I wanted something a bit sort of romantic and yes. poetic. Yes. Anyway, she didn't like it. Um, and I was a little bit, oh, a bit disappointed by that. And then I had lunch with a friend who said, well, what's the book about? And I said, oh, it's an Italian girl in Brooklyn. He goes, well, why didn't you call it that? And I thought, oh, okay, well, it, it, that's what it is. That's yeah. what the book's about. So, yes, yeah, so Eliza the Lake could possibly change, yes. but it is the sixth in the Deverell series. But I have to say the first three books are a trilogy, beginning, middle and end, whereas four, five and six are all standalones mm. related. So mm. you don't have to have read the trilogy no. to read those three. Did you have any books that you would absolutely loved as a teenager? Because that the Devils to me reminds me of those sort of epic stories that yeah. you used to read as a teenager. Those ones that yes, that, I loved Ken Follett. Right, you know, I loved um, Pillars of the Earth and those massive stories. I loved Julie Cooper. So did I. As a yeah. teenager, yeah. I was mad in love with Rupert yeah. Campbell Black. Yeah. I, I think I still am actually. <laughs> I loved her books yeah. and um, Judith Krantz yes. and Jackie Collins. You yes. know, I used to read all of those. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of a trilogy. I mean, more recently, the books that have inspired me enormously, which will be a huge surprise to everybody, is the Game of Thrones series. Oh, yeah. No, no. I can see totally. Oh, really? I can totally see why. I tell you why. Because yeah, the they arc are of character yes. is so yeah. clever. Yeah. So in the first book, you hate Jamie Lannister. In the second book, you love Jamie yeah. Lannister. So your allegiance is continually changing yeah. as the characters change. They're very multidimensional, the characters. Yeah. Brilliant. And, and that's, they're not just black and white no I think he's the most brilliant writer so yeah. I've loved his books so when you were planning your trilogy did you have a sort of bedroom wall entirely covered in post-its working out exactly where everyone was going to go or did you I mean how do you, you plan a trilogy because that's really quite heavy if duty. I was Imogen Edwards Jones I would have had <laughs> probably graphs and timelines and photographs and all that no I had nothing I started off with I wanted three women daughter of the castle first cousin and the daughter of the cook growing up in the castle together, then the War of Independence comes. That's all I had. Gosh. And I just went instinctively. But then you get into trouble because then in the second book, there are certain things that you want to do, but you can't do them yes. because of the first book because yes. you haven't been clever like Imogen and <laughs> planned. So, no, I got my knickers in a twist on many occasions yes, because yes. I wanted to do things that I couldn't. But then on the other hand, in a way, it's also easy because you've got all the ingredients there mm. and it's like a puzzle and you start moving things around. Think if I use that and, oh, that's clever, I can add that. Mm. So you're like an instinctive cook. Yes. You're like a recipe cook. Exactly, that's exactly yes. what it is. Yes. So you just open the cupboards in the kitchen and think, see oh, what, what have got. we got? And let's make something But I have it. to have something to work with, you yeah. see. Maybe if you asked Imogen, tell me a story now, Imogen could probably do it. Whereas if you said to me, tell me a story, like, <gasps> I can't, no. If you said, okay, she walked into a dark wood, mm. in the distance she saw a cabin, now I can tell you a story. Mm. Mm. But I have to have something to work mm. with. 
And that's interesting because yeah. the, the idea of a trilogy is really daunting because yes. you've got so many pieces of the jigsaw puzzle you've got. To, but then, of course, life it doesn't work like that. You know, yeah. The logic of something impacting on something well, else exactly. is not necessarily... Well, life is very random. And well, sometimes, exactly, I mean, yeah. so do you think your novels write you a little bit? I think they definitely do. Sometimes, Does that make sense? So they sort of pull yeah. you along. And sometimes I'll write a scene and I'm thinking, I don't even know why I'm writing this. Because that's how I write my columns. I, can't, mm. I, I will sit down and I'll think, this is what I want to write about. And I don't map out what I'm going to say. I just think about it. Yeah. And then as I think about it, I write it. Does yeah. that make any yeah. sense? No, no, totally. And I, I'm but, like that but too. But there are lots of people who are who who do essay plans. Yes, and so some just, people yes. write chapter plans. I they know exactly really what. Yeah. Plan. No, because I, I, I have to sort of let the subject almost yes, but, 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 carry a bit. But there yeah. are certain mountains you've got to hit. Yes, yeah. there are certain course, peaks yeah. you have to hit. I so knew and I knew my peaks. I yeah. mean, I knew certain peaks. I, I won't yeah. lie. I knew certain peaks. Yes, you have and reference also, points. Yes. definitely. and also as the book. You know, as you get into the book, then you start planning because you know where you're going, and then you can yeah. see what's coming—the mm. hor- next horizon mm. or two. You know, you know, and where you sort you're of going. know where you want to get to. Yes, That's I knew how I wanted it to yes. end mm. exactly. So I absolutely knew how yeah. I wanted it to end. So I had the beginning and but I had the middle. Is, but the, everything the else last is an line. adventure. I didn't have the last line. No. I always think the last line is the most important. You gave me the ending for one of my favorite books, *The Temptation of Gracie*, oh, which has one of the best endings of all my books because it's such a surprise and people write to me now and say no, I they? never saw that coming that's extraordinary and I'm oh, I'm able yeah, really I'm able to write back and yeah. boast and say I think it's one of the best endings ever oh. because I didn't think of it so it's not <laughs> boasting then is it I say my friend Imogen thought of it because I said to Imogen I've got the ending and I'm feeling really emotional and I told her and she goes that's good but what about this and it was like oh, that's even more that's even more emotional so then I wrote that and yeah. it's a, it's brilliant. a great book I it's love a that brilliant book. ending that, well, that's what we should take on the beach that one it's yeah, a beautiful the temptation book. of Gracie yeah, yeah. 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 Temptation that is a, of Gracie. That's a great book good one yeah. that's a romantic one well, thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you, girls. Thank you for it's coming. It's lovely to sit with you on chairs and sober. <laughs> Not a sofa or a bottle of wine in sight. Well, a good luck with your fantastic book. I can't wait to read it. Well, thank you. Yes, and I can't wait to see the rabbits on screen. Yes. Yeah, well, I can't wait to see the rabbits on screen. I'll probably be an old lady with a Zimmer frame by the time it comes out. The way we're right, going so at the we'll moment, go. anyway. But it's a dream. Imogen and I will both be, you know, long dead by then. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, yes. Yeah. Well, I'd probably be I'll long probably dead. I'll probably be in some retreat somewhere. Yeah. Yes, my children will reap the rewards of that film, probably. Anyway, thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been an unpredictable week, shocking and tumultuous week in Westminster with Boris Johnson rising another wave of chaos. Joining us now to tell us what might be next is our resident spiritualist and astrologer, Teresa Chung. Hello, Teresa. Hello, what a week. Thank you. What an honour to talk to you. I feel like we should introduce you with tolling bells, Teresa. (laughs) (laughs) And then maybe some crows cawing in the background. Yes. It all feels a bit sort of end of days, doesn't it? It is. It is the end of days. I mean, but this is what this year, 2022, massive. From May the 6th onward, that was what I said. I said to everyone Mm. earlier in the year, enjoy, even though January to May were pretty tough. It's going to go crazy. It's a reset of everything. So how can it get worse? (laughs) It's basically a massive reset. As I say, it's like a kettle boiling. We're at that boiling point, you know, at the moment. And it's necessary for the world. It's necessary for all of us individually and collectively to reassess our priorities. 
Boris Johnson is one of these people who's kind of like a morality tale out there for us all. Mm. Right. Lessons for our own lives. I mean, he is a classic example of sat in return in your late fifties. Mm. If you haven't learned the lessons that life wants you to learn, when you're sat in return, his is currently happening right now, and it will continue for him until next March. Massive time. Yeah. If you aren't learning the lessons, there's just a lot of pain and difficulty. This is a massive opportunity, not just for us all individually, but collectively, to create a better world. It really is. Change is good change is essential for evolution and that's what's happening right now we're being forced into it should we take this as a positive thing i mean obviously it's very traumatic and there's a lot of upheaval but ultimately is this something that is going to lead us all to a slightly happier more calm place i mean i just quite like to have a government that just quietly gets on with the job it's going to be chaotic it's going to be chaotic looking at the astrology for the uk it's going to be chaotic for several mm. months, there's going to be a lot of behind-the-scenes mm. drama and jealousy and resentment because people have been holding these resentments in and it's mm. all going to play out. But that's why, as I always say, things like nightmares are good. It's like when you have a fever, you need to sweat to mm. get rid mm. of the toxic stuff. But that is a positive thing because it releases and it lets go. The worst thing is when it goes within and it festers within. And that's what we've been happening, really, for the last couple of years. It's gone within. Everything's coming out in the open. And that is always good. And I think, actually, it's a really wonderful moment for the UK. But we're seeing where things are going wrong. We're seeing when bending the truth is not right. And we're we're course-correcting ourselves. And I think that's really powerful that the UK is kind of leading the way. And I wish the US would kind of do that as well. Mm. You know, you see paralleled what's happening with Trump on January the 6th. His own Mm. party needs to say enough. So like a big old um, clear out of the cupboards, do you think, Teresa? Yes, yes, it really is. And and I'm, I'm eternally positive and I think it's a really good sign. And I think it says a lot about the people of the UK everyone, that they've finally realized we cannot sell our conscience anymore. Mm. You know, there are, there are higher things. There's a higher call of duty, and we've got to answer to that. And I think this reset is really, really good news mm. for our country. If you're looking at Boris's chart, Teresa, is there, in, is there, is there in, a little it's period of... It's that beast, the right. but if you don't learn the lessons of what your Saturn... His Saturn is in Pisces. Now, look at the sign of Pisces. It's the most, in a way, kind of evolved sign of the Zodiac. It's the 12th one, which has accumulated all the lessons of the others. It's mystical. It's empathetic. It's about service for others. And it's about integrity. And it's about mysticism and a higher calling. That Pisceans are very often very drawn to the mystical and they see beyond the material. That is what Boris needs now to do. He needs to see that there are more important things in life than the power and the glory he really craves. And he's got to look to his own personal integrity. Because until that is sorted out, his life's going to be getting worse and worse. And he has got until next March when his Saturn return in Pisces really plays out to do that. It could be an amazing reset for him where he looks at his family situation, he looks at his personal values, and then he could go on and have an amazing rest of life. Mm. However, if he continues in this way of talking guff and bending the truth, he's a classic example of someone who's never been held accountable 
from an early age. Yes, I think I think the problem with him is that he just he's just never really taken anything very seriously in his life. Mm. And Gemini, I, I think you know he's always felt that there was uh, there was another way of him getting around the problem or skirting it or just obfuscating. Yeah, he's that little boy at school, isn't he? Who delightfully and he's got away well, with it. Exactly. You know, it's the, 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 the chocolate around his mouth saying, I haven't eaten the biscuit. Yeah, and he yeah. does it in yeah. such a funny, appealing way that you can't but help, you know. He's appealed to people's better nature, the nurturing, mm. the caring. But we also, as a nation, we have got to stop confusing genius with narcissism and someone who is clearly got no moral code mm. got to stop confusing genius with being an eccentric mm. the two don't go together you can have very boring geniuses but I, I do think that some ladies in charge might be the future I think right now is what we need oh, I don't think you would like us when you run the country I don't no. think it's possible I can barely I mean, run a bath to be honest with you we can barely run a bath yes I mean <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's true. It is, you know, astrologically, um, it is looking, you know, since COVID, we've been having astrological patterns similar to World War II, and that was six years. So we're still in the thick of it. And there are going to be lots more changes, especially overseas in America as well. We're going to see things happening. But it's all good because it gets everything out in the open, like shining lights on cockroaches. They all scatter. And that's what we need at the moment. We need it all out in the open. And hopefully then we have a big reset in 2023-24 where we've learned and grown as a nation. Oh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> Thank you, Teresa. Oh. Thank you. That was Teresa Chung, whose book, The Truth About Angels, is available now. If you enjoy listening to The Half Hour, why not visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. And if you would like to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus, me at Westminster or Imogen at Imogen EJ. You've been listening to Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine and Imogen Edwards-Jones. And also Rafe Allen, who's in the studio being quiet. <laughs> I think we should just get Rafe to say hello. Say hello, Rafe. Hello, everybody. Imogen's son, Rafe, who is on his school holiday, and so he's coming to the studio to help mummy, haven't you, Rafe? Yes, I have. Rafe, tell me, what do you think? Are you happy that Boris has arrived? I think that he's worked quite hard during because he's had quite he's had quite hard years in Parliament. He's had COVID yes. and inflation and Ukraine. So I think what I think what he's done is decent for the events that he has faced. Oh, interesting. Very, very good and deep insight. Yeah. Thanks, Rafe. Interesting.